Welcome to Connections, a McElroy podcast all about pipe fusion, where we tackle industry news, job site success stories, and more from the world of thermoplastic pipe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connections, a podcast from the experts at McElroy. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Now, if you've seen the news recently, then you've certainly heard of the proposed infrastructure bill that President Biden has been trying to get passed through Congress. And joining me to give us the details on the current status of the bill and what it includes and so much more is Kip Eideberg. He's the Senior Vice President for Government and Industry Relations for AEM. Kip, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tyler. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you on and to get your uh, your insights and expertise today. And then we're also joined by Kevin Miller. He is a senior advisor for Miller Pipeline. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks. Very good. Very good. So uh, let's just kick things off by getting an introduction to each of you and uh, and what you do and the companies that you work for. So, Kip, tell us a little bit about AEM and what your purpose there is. Yeah, happy to, Tyler. So the, the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, or, or AEM, represents the off-road equipment manufacturing industry, both manufacturers and suppliers. And in the United States, our industry supports about 2.8 million jobs. That is one of every eight U.S. manufacturing jobs. And we contribute roughly $280 billion to the, to the economy every year. But to put it differently, Tyler, and, and maybe to explain it a little bit better, the men and women of our industry, of the equipment manufacturing industry, make the equipment that builds, powers, and feeds the world, something that, that we are very proud of. Uh, and as for my role, uh, it is uh, to guide strategy for the association's government relations, public affairs, grassroots advocacy, and policy efforts. Uh, and I'm joined by a team here in Washington, a very talented team, who relentlessly make the case for equipment manufacturing every day of the week. So that's what keeps us busy in Washington these days. And I should add in state capitals and in Canada as well, because while we're headquartered here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know, we do have a, a global perspective as well. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. Doing important work uh, there, Kip. And uh, Kevin, tell us a little bit about Miller Pipeline and, uh, and your role there as a senior advisor. Sure. Um, Miller's been in business a long time. I think that we're getting out to 60-some uh, um, years now in, in business. We, uh, we have about 3,500 employees that work across 25 states. Uh, we primarily do gas distribution work for large investor-owned utilities. Uh, we also have a division that works in the water and the wastewater uh, industry as well. So uh, a lot of underground construction for us, uh, a, lot of, a lot of boots on the ground, a lot of uh, big equipment that uh, goes to work, uh, digging ditch and putting in pipe and utilities every day. So uh, my role uh, in the last year has changed a little bit. I used to be uh, president and chief operating officer, but now I've uh, perform um, part-time work uh, as a senior advisor, still involved in the industry and still involved with uh, uh, some of the initiatives we have going in our company today. So, Kip, since you're there in Washington, D.C., and you're, you're plugged in on a number of levels, uh, just give us the current status of the infrastructure bill as things stand right now. You bet. And, and I should say that I've been doing this long enough to remember when Infrastructure Week was was 
was just a punchline. Uh, but but today, uh, I got to tell you, Tyler, I've not seen this much positive momentum for a, a comprehensive infrastructure package in, in the last ten years at least. And you know, for your for your listeners, uh, you know, you'll recall that we started out with a two point three trillion dollar or thereabouts, depending on your definition of infrastructure, uh, in package in the form of the American Jobs Plan that that President Biden unveiled in, in Pittsburgh, you know, a few months ago. Republicans came back. With with around 500, 600 billion dollars, uh, president countered with 1.7, and you know we went back and forth for for a while. But but as of last week, we now have a 1.2, 1.2 trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure framework agreed to by the president and 20 or 21 Republican and Democratic senators. Uh, depends you know, on the day of the week. You talk to Senator Graham from South Carolina. I think he's back in the fold now. So that's a substantial group of senators, bipartisan senators. And and this is a good deal. If if anyone, anyone had said that we would have a bipartisan framework that provides that kind of funding for infrastructure, I don't think there's a lobbyist in Washington that would not have been doing cartwheels down Pennsylvania Avenue uh, a couple of years ago over that kind of investment. Uh, it, it is unprecedented really in many ways uh and it's a lot of money so so what is included in that tyler well you know we got about 312 billion uh for transportation infrastructure that's roads transit uh, electric vehicle infrastructure airports ports etc uh 55 billion for water infrastructure which i think will be of, of great interest and certainly uh some opportunity there for your listeners uh, and certainly for our members in the underground uh, equipment industry, about 65 billion for broadband infrastructure, uh, with fiber currently being the, the favorite, and about 70 or so uh, billion dollars for for power infrastructure uh, and and the grid at large. So uh, a lot of money. Question now is, of course, where do we go from here? Uh, we're still waiting for legislative text from Capitol Hill, uh, and you know, right now it's about anyone's guess on how this is going to move forward, regular order, uh, perhaps under a reconciliation bill. We're looking at that closely. Uh, I think we are in for, for a hot infrastructure summer uh, in the next month or so, with the goal really, at least what, what both the president and Democratic leadership has been signaling, of making serious progress on this bipartisan bill and the budget resolution that would then pave the way for a, a reconciliation bill later in this summer. Uh, and then just finally, I'll, I'll say there are a couple of other uh, infrastructure bills that are making uh, progress as well, uh, moving through uh, Congress. Just hours ago, actually, the House passed two bills, the Water Quality and Job Creation Bill, uh, which is a, uh, or, or the Job Creation Act, rather, which is a bill that AEM has actively supported, and that provides about $40 billion for the Clean Water State Revolving Fund, uh, as well as some additional funds for localities to upgrade water um, and wastewater infrastructure. So that's another good good news for our industry. And then the Invest Act, um, or the Invest in America Act, uh, the longer name, which provides about $550 billion uh, over five years for surface transportation spending. So a lot of movement right now, a lot of optimism. And, uh, you know, like any, any, anything in Washington, nothing comes easy. So so stay tuned. We'll, we'll have to see how this works out. Yeah, I think Lindsey Graham flip-flops two times just even while you were answering that question. And so, you know, it's just always one of those uh, keep your ear to the ground situations, right, Kip? Uh, yeah, so, right. Uh, Kevin, from your perspective, uh, you're someone that, that has been in this area for a long time. What's your reaction when you hear and read everything that, that Kip is talking about, about this infrastructure bill? Uh, what, what, what's your perspective on this? 
Well, you know, most of our work, uh, like I said, we've worked with investor-owned utilities who, for the last 10 to 15 years, have really ramped up their spending because of the, uh, the, the gas distribution system is basically at the end of its usable life. So we have kind of had an isolated expansion in that market for 10 or 15 years. So we have kind of not paid real close attention to how this might impact us going forward. That being said, um, anytime that you have um, ancillary work, whether it's highways, airports, railroads, whatever, um, there's always a gas line in the way. And so even though this isn't focused at uh, gas line rehabilitation, it will drive uh, more work than we're currently doing today. So we expect to get a nice incremental increase to the amount of business that we're already doing today um, when they start doing all this work to bridges and roads in major cities and things like that. Uh, what's really exciting to me is is the the segment that's going to be focused on uh, the water, you know, rehabilitating the water lines. Uh, they've made comments that they don't want, you know, they want to do away with all the lead water services, and that will drive an incredible amount of work uh, in that market space. And uh, we we've operated in that market space for quite a few years, but it's uh it's been very fragmented. It's very regionally based. Uh, the projects are, are budgeted uh, to do only what's absolutely necessary to keep the systems going. They've really been water, water services in general have been neglected over a lot of years. And uh, so this is encouraging news that it will drive a, quite a bit more of that type of work into this market. Kipper, are there any things that we should be keeping our eye on that could potentially derail this deal or, um, you know, uh, knock it off course or anything like that? Uh, I, I'm sure that there always are things like that, that that could happen anytime we're talking about Congress. But, but what are you keeping an eye on that, that could potentially derail um, any kind of uh, infrastructure plan? Yeah, it's a great question, Tyler. I mean, I think it's going to come down to whether or not uh, Congress can 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 put policy ahead of politics uh, and and move forward with a bipartisan deal. Uh, previous attempts to pass a comprehensive infrastructure package have have always stalled because of partisanship, and I think the only remedy to that is bipartisanship. Uh, and you know, as is usually the case with with sweeping legislative proposals of this nature, you know, both sides try to load them up with pet priorities or or sink them through poison pills and political reality uh, these days in Washington is that, you know, even in an evenly divided Senate, you know, the only way to pass meaningful legislation and secure good outcomes, uh, not just for our industry, but for Americans overall, is through compromise. And that requires bipartisanship. And, you know, a little bit of nugget here, I think, to put the current climate political climate that is into perspective is, you know, I mentioned earlier that the House just passed the Invest Act, uh, or sorry, the Invest in America Act, which is commonly referred to as surface transportation reauthorization in Washington. This is the, this is the bill that gets reauthorized um, or passed every five years to reauthorize the funding for, for roads and bridges and transit. It passed by only 20 votes. And by contrast, the House passed its version of, um, of this bill five years ago. It was called the FAST Act back in 2015 by a margin of 299 votes. And if you go all the way back to 2005, the House passed that same bill by a margin of 408 votes. 
So you've gone from 408 to 299 to 20 margin. So if anything is going to torpedo this, it's, it's going to be, you know, polemics and partisanship in politics rather than policy and process. And so we uh, at the Association of Equipment Manufacturers are laser focused on reminding lawmakers every day that they've got a job to do, and that is to deliver meaningful outcomes for, for our industry, for the country, and they got to stay focused on that. And if they don't, uh, then this thing may, uh, may sink. Let's hope that's not the case, Tyler. I very much hope that that's not the case. And, uh, you know, Kevin, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about is that there's been a lot of conversation about unemployment coming out of the pandemic, right? I'm curious, do you believe that, a, that a, an infrastructure bill like this could lead to job creation within some of the industries that, that you work in and that, that you have experience with? Oh, I, I'm sure it will. There's no doubt. The, uh, um, you know, the, uh, before the pandemic hit, uh, the labor force was stretched really thin. Uh, generally speaking, across uh, all branches of uh, underground construction, uh, particularly in our uh, avenue. So, um, you know, it is concerning that we and other contractors will be competing for, you know, the best workers available. And um, it, it will make a previously tight market even tighter. So no doubt. You know, with a bill this size, I would assume that there are going to be some challenges with carrying out the infrastructure improvements that are included within it that, that Kip laid out earlier. Uh, I'd love to hear from both of you. Kip, uh, why don't you kick us off? Just what do you think maybe some of the biggest challenges will be in terms of making the what's included in the bill a reality? Yeah, it's a great question, Tyler. I would echo what Kevin said on on the workforce piece. Uh, I was just down in South Carolina uh, a few weeks ago visiting with a small equipment manufacturer there. You know, they have maybe 65, 70 employees total. They have seven open positions, welders, machinists. You know, I'm sure, and I'd love to hear Kevin's perspective on this. I'm sure it's the same for him, his company. You know, we can't find enough talented men and women, particularly young men and women, uh, to go into whether it's, you know, the, the manufacturing piece of the industry, whether it's the contracting piece of the industry, uh, they're just not enough interest. And so that's a big challenge, obviously. And, and as Kevin said, I would hate for this to become a feeding frenzy where we're competing against each other because that will do no one good. You know, the other thing to keep in mind when you talk about legislation coming out of Washington as well, how quickly can the can the money start flowing? You know, I, I think and we've certainly made the case that that any bill of this size needs to be coupled with some regulatory reform, some permitting reform. I think we've all learned that there's no such thing as a shovel ready project. Uh, and I, I think it depends, finally, you know, some of this money, right, does it go to, to existing programs? If it goes to existing programs, then money can, you know, typically start flowing within six months. But if this requires new programs being set up and administered, then we're not looking until 2023 at the earliest. So, you know, those are some of the challenges we're facing here with this bill and, and, and you know, make, putting it to good use, not only for our industry, but for America as a whole. Kevin, what do you think? Uh, biggest challenges in terms of uh, carrying out the, the improvements included in the bill? Well, uh, besides the things that uh, Kip mentioned, you know, just going out and getting the equipment needed, particularly the large construction equipment. Um, you know, Kip has a real good handle on um, what's going on in that space today. But uh, I know as a contractor, um, the world has drastically changed over the last several years and um, the lead times have increased 
on uh, equipment from most of our major uh, manufacturers that we use. So, uh, you know, if, if somebody gave you the green light to go build a highway today um, and you needed to get your hands on a lot of big equipment, um, there's a considerable uh, lead time required today. So, I mean, I see that as an as an issue. You know, in reality, like like Kip said, uh, if they're going to spend X billion dollars, it, it's not going to start today and it's not going to all start at once. There's going to be kind of a natural evolution to a ramping up and, and, and getting the work. And hopefully the equipment manufacturers can get in line with the demand and and uh, we can get our labor force built up. And, and, you know, all of us working together over the next year can can, you know, ratchet things up 10 percent to. To meet the needs. Absolutely. And I think to to your point there, Kevin, I think just for the global supply chain in general, the, the early part of 2021 was um, maybe a, a, a six months to forget, I think, um, just with everything that has gone gone on in, in global supply chain uh, markets. And so when you look at um, the Suez Canal, the freeze in Texas, uh, the global chip shortage that is uh, causing car manufacturing to, to be a little bit slower. I think a lot of uh, people are experiencing raw material shortages, which are slowing down a lot of supply chain um, type situations. And so I think that that's uh, another challenge to look at as well as are the raw materials there to be able to carry out the projects that, that we're looking at, at, at carrying out. Exactly. Yeah. You know, our industry, uh, we experienced uh, a boom in the natural gas industry back 10, 15 years ago, and the manufacturers of the plastic pipe really struggled to meet the uh, supply and demand, and it took several years for them to get ramped up. But since that time, they've done an excellent job of meeting the need. But any time there's a new bucket of work that comes into the market, it takes all entities a, a year or two to adapt to the change and, and the requirements, and and uh, ho hopefully that works out to everybody's benefit. A lot of challenges, but a lot of opportunities for those that can succeed. Kip, any uh, any follow up to to Kevin's comments? I would agree with everything Kevin said, and I, I think you mentioned you know supply chain challenges. You know we continue to see some of those uh, for our, for our industry. You know we've had some improvements over the last three to six months, uh, particularly in Asia Pacific. You know parts and components have started flowing again. You know from Europe as well, but you know we're still facing delays. And and on top of that, you know key input obviously for our industry. Kevin mentioned you know lead times have gone up for for big equipment. You know we're seeing some shortages because you know cannot keep up with demand, which in some ways is a good problem to have if you can eventually get there. But you know tariffs is something we haven't talked about. Tariffs on steel in particular. Uh, you know I looked at it the other day. You know right now if you can get it the price for hot rolled coil is 750 to 800 a ton you know that's almost twice what it was before the pandemic uh and it's about twice as what it is in europe right now uh and that puts our industry at a disadvantage no no doubt um and with with demand this high 
uh, you'd think that supply would be uh, would be meeting that demand. It's just not. Uh, I have some theories about that. I'll keep those to myself. Uh, but you know, we we got to get rid of tariffs on critical inputs. We got to get supply chains strengthened because I'm listening to Kevin talk about all these great projects that that his company can get to work on, and and the fact that they are you know may not be able to get the equipment they need. That's that's crazy. And you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna spend 1.2 trillion dollars. On the infrastructure and our customers, our, our members' customers can't get the equipment they need. That does us no good. Mm, that's a that's that's a strong point. That's a strong point. So uh, so Kevin, from from your perspective, then when you hear about a, a bill this size, I, I suppose there's a there's a phased rollout, right, on, on mobilizing on these projects, but. Um, what do you think about uh, as far as the timeline goes, and and, and just what, what's your perspective there? Well, I think for us, um, you know, the what I saw uh, of the different components of the package, um, the the industry that we're in, natural gas distribution, um, you know, it it'll be affected later. Um, you know, these, these projects have to be designed for the renovations at airports and the highways and all the different things they're going to do. And, and then when those become shovel ready, um, they, they will start impacting our existing customers. And then our existing customers will have to write work orders and projects to move their existing lines and things like that. So we're going to be, I don't think it will impact us quite as early as maybe some other people as far as us having to modify our business model and, and hire people and buy equipment, things like that. Um, you know, the, the thing that I think about is, you know, the big picture, it's going to, you know, there's going to be some inflationary uh, pressure on wages and equipment costs, things like that. Uh, we're already competing, um, you know, for, for a tight labor pool. And um, we have we have fixed uh, contracts that are three to five years long. So and it's based on normal wages and benefits. So I have a little concern that, it, you know, over the next year, if, as this stuff rolls out, it, if it starts to put a lot of pressure on our wage packages and things like that, competing for the, the best talent then, you know, we, it might increase our cost. And, and then we have to try and figure out how to pass those costs along to the customer. Same way with the equipment. You know, when the equipment starts costing us more money, uh, it takes more money to buy that equipment. You got to spread those costs. Uh, so it starts putting pressure on our prices to our customers. So, um, so it, it's, I think there's some challenges ahead, but uh, like I say, there's some good opportunities. So, guys, as we start to uh, wrap up this episode of the podcast, I want to kick it over to to each of you to get your final thoughts. Any uh, any maybe summary statements that you want listeners to to be sure to walk away with, or anything we haven't touched on yet that you want to make sure to uh, to hit on before we wrap up this episode. So, Kip, let me toss it to you first. Uh, any final thoughts uh, to share with our audience here today? Well, I think well, you know one one of the, the 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 points that is often overlooked in in Washington uh, when when you talk about infrastructure is is why right I mean Kevin knows why you know our industry knows why I think 
sometimes politicians may struggle with that, right? Now, so it's it's important, I think, to to keep in mind that investing in our nation's infrastructure, you know, should not be a partisan issue. Uh, I mentioned that earlier. It is just common sense. You know, we need our, our lawmakers to stop playing politics and, and, and coalesce around a long-term solution to rebuild and modernize our infrastructure, both underground and above, right? There's been a lot of talk about, you know, the definition of infrastructure. You know, it, it's easy to think of roads and bridges, right? But it's critical that we also think about what is below ground. It never gets the same amount of attention, but it is equally important. And finally, let's think about the investment opportunities and the growth opportunities that comes from this. A long-term investment in infrastructure is an investment in our country. For every dollar spent uh, on infrastructure, between 2 and $3, it's generated in economic activity around the United States over time. And so this investment will create millions of family-sustaining jobs. It will help jumpstart our economy and put us on a path recovery. And so I, you know, I don't want to oversimplify this, Tyler, but you know, it, it can't not just become a debate about how to pay for it. That is important, right? It can't become just a debate about what is infrastructure, equally important, but it's got to be a debate about why this just has to happen, right? And the opportunity cost. Think about what happens if we don't do this. So you know, our, our hope certainly here is that the end of the day, you know, not only our politicians, but, you know, Americans across the country will recognize that if we don't invest and care for our infrastructure, we won't have an infrastructure. And that's going to impact all of us, our ability to compete in the global economy, our ability to get our kids safely to school, our ability to travel and visit parts of the country to just do business. So, you know, we're, we're optimistic. I said that at the at the onset, but uh, I think it's critical that we don't lose track of what's at stake here at the end of the day. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Kevin, uh, any final thoughts uh, from you as we wrap up this episode? Well, you know, I was uh, listening to Kip and it kind of jogged my memory a little bit uh, from a big picture perspective. Uh, if we think about um, this new administration coming in, I, I think for most of us in the underground construction uh, industry, uh, we, we kind of felt like um, that we were going to be challenged in the future with growth opportunities because of, um, you know, the, the administration's desire to, uh, you know, uh, carbon fuel reduction, canceling pipelines, that kind of thing. So for, for those of us in this industry, we were kind of like, well, you know, we're, we're going to have our challenges ahead of us. But uh, from Kip's perspective, uh, with all these other opportunities, you know, I think that it'll, it'll make up for, lost opportunities may not be the same industry but at the end of the day it's still people um so I, i'm really excited about the opportunities for growth for individual companies for for all the suppliers for the equipment manufacturers um you know this construction industry um has struggled a little bit to attract and retain good people you know a lot of the young kids coming today want to go to college and uh, get an education and they don't necessarily want to do uh, utility type work but uh, there's a whole lot of families that have made a great living doing this and i think that this this uh, extra work will allow us to showcase uh, the opportunities for people to have career paths in this industry so i'm, I'm looking forward to it fantastic stuff kip eideberg from american equipment manufacturers and kevin miller of miller pipeline gentlemen thank you so much for joining us here on connections and uh sharing your insights and expertise here uh, as we talk about the infrastructure bill gentlemen it was a pleasure thanks thank a lot you. tyler appreciate it
Absolutely. And everyone, thank you for tuning into this episode of Connections, a podcast from McElroy. We appreciate it very much. Of course, stay tuned for future episodes of the show. The best way to stay up to date with everything going on with McElroy is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, that way you get the latest episodes right there on your mobile device. And of course, we'll be back soon with new episodes of the show. But until then, for my guests today, Kip and Kevin, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us.